turn to Luke chapter 10, the gospel of Luke chapter 10, and just uh, in way of just talking about where we are today, where our minds are, aren't you thankful for God's preservation? That That's the one thing that keeps coming to my mind this morning as we worship and uh, I've got... I've got, is it Hebrews 12, 1, coming to mind about the great cloud of witnesses? We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and sometimes we, we don't think about what those great cloud of witnesses are. Uh, it's the ones who have gone before us that God preserved, who at the same time we can say who persevered. And J.C.'s life is a challenge to us. To persevere and to thank God for his preservation of his saints. And what a challenge to us because too many people walk away from the faith. Too many people as they grow in age become cold and indifferent to the gospel. And J.C. didn't do that. J.C. lived to his dying breath loving God. What a testimony to us, to both the youngers and the olders. It should spur us to the message of Hebrews 12. You haven't resisted unto blood yet. So keep striving. Keep persevering in your walk with God. And thank God for His preservation. We're thankful for His life. Up to this point in the Gospel of Luke... Uh, the reader is called on to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? And in chapter 9, the disciples are asked by Jesus himself, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the bold one, answered it correctly. You are the Christ of God. At the end of chapter 9, we learn that it cost everything to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's impossible for someone to come to Christ and be indifferent. It's impossible to come to Christ and your life not change. That's the point of the passage. That's the point of chapter 9. There's no such thing as casual Christianity. It doesn't exist. Upon becoming a believer, God moves you. He moves you away from sin. And He moves you to His work. In chapter 10, we learn what it is that a disciple does. Now, we've learned what the general parameters of this are in chapter 9. We know that it's something radical. It's defined as taking up your cross daily. So we know it's radical. We know it's something that runs against our grain. It's something uncomfortable. We just think about what disciple means, what it means to be a disciple. It means that you're following Christ and therefore you're off of your agenda and you're on his agenda. That's what being a disciple is. So you will sacrifice some things. It means that relationships with people will be lower in priority than relationship with Christ. 
And not just in a symbolic way that really doesn't touch any part of our lives. But in a real radical way that alters who we are and what we do. That's the point. It changes who we are. It changes the things that we do. Our time is spent differently. Christianity, as most Americans know it, is not Christianity at all. This idea that what we do on Sunday morning only is Christianity, that's not found in Scripture. That what we do one time a week defines who we are as a people. That's man-made. And I think you see how weighty our corporate worship services are. I I think you understand we, we place a lot of emphasis on those. But there's more to it in defining who we are as God's people. What we do outside of these walls every other day of the week. That defines who the body is and who we are. This is something that we take seriously here at Grace Fellowship. It's something that we wrestle with. It's something that we need to communicate more. Because we're not a program-based ministry here. And you guys well know that when you're a part of a program-based ministry, most of your energy is funneled into keeping the, the ministry going, keeping the programs going. And programs in and of themselves are not bad things, but if you're not careful, if you're not intentional to keep your church from ending up in error, you have to make sure that the program is intentional and that it's about discipleship and evangelism. And that's the problem with most program-based ministries is they're not that. In most churches that we know of, that are program-based, discipleship and evangelism are greatly hindered. So what are we to do? Because most churches that move away from program-based ministries, most new church plants that choose to not go that route, they have a problem with abandoning ministry altogether. We don't have our ministries anymore. What are we supposed to do? And so that's what we have to be careful of. Because the leadership here hasn't chosen to not go that way just to give you more time off. More time to relax. More time just to be with your family. We want to be intentional about Preaching the gospel. We want to be intentional about serving our community. We want you to use your time wisely. And in using your time wisely, we want you to take that time that we give you, time that we would not be meeting for programs, and to use it to further God's kingdom. That's the the desire of the leadership. That's the intention for not meeting as often as other churches do. So don't use those precious hours during the week for more television. Don't use those hours during the week for more Facebook time. Let's not use those hours during the week 
to become even more secluded than we already are. Amen. Amen. What can we do? We can be a host to families in our neighborhood. We can be a host to people we haven't met in this body. Do you know everyone in this body? Did you know that there are people who don't know Jesus Christ in your church? Sunday after Sunday. Evangelism in your neighborhood, evangelism in your church, evangelism with your schoolmates, evangelism with your co-workers begins with spending time together. And we are freeing you up to do those things. We want you to invest in people. We want to be a God-centered ministry. I hope you see that. We want to be a God-centered ministry here at Grace Fellowship. And what do God-centered ministries do? They focus on people. You can't separate the two and say we're going to be God-focused, but we're going to ignore people. We're going to seclude ourselves from people. We're God-centered. It doesn't work that way. You can't separate those two things. We need to focus on people more than we focus on programs. And this brings us to the heart of Jesus' message in Luke chapter 10. As we study this passage, it becomes evident that our specific task is to give attention to God's harvest. This is the specific task of the disciple, which begs the question, if we're not doing that, can we really say that we're doing the work of a disciple? Everyone who is called is sent. Everyone who is called is an ambassador, a laborer, a missionary. Everyone. Your call to salvation is at the same time a call to be a laborer. A call to be a missionary. This brings us to our first principle in the passage. In verses 1 through 12, Jesus commissions 72 disciples. That's our first principle. Jesus commissions disciples. Let's read that together. Starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now here we go. Here's the task. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet We wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So here you see Jesus commissions his disciples who will go into the surrounding villages ahead of him. He commissions them. 
He addresses practical issues like food and housing and other needs. And in verse 9 there, he gives them their task, which involves two things. Do you see it? Two aspects of the ministry there. He tells them to meet needs and to preach the gospel. They are to meet people's needs and they are to preach the gospel. Twofold mission. You know, just on a side, I'm so thankful for this weekend. Aren't you? And, and Carlton, I'm thankful for your vision to see the churches of this county come together uh, for the sake of transforming our communities. I'm so thankful for that. What a great start. I couldn't believe when I drove up and saw all the vehicles. I mean, I was overwhelmed. It was amazing. And the, and the brotherhood that occurred there. Uh, great job. You all painted. You cleaned trash. You landscaped. You did all sorts of service around our county. And in the same way, these disciples were meeting people's needs. They were healing. This was hands-on ministry. This was hard work. Do you remember in the Gospels how tired Jesus was at the end of the day after healing all day long? Doing people work is hard work. This was hands-on ministry. But they weren't just doing service work. The disciples were also told to preach the Gospel. They were told to announce that God's kingdom was near them. They were preaching the Gospel. We must preach the Gospel. We must find different avenues in which to preach the gospel. And we have to get out of these four walls to do it. I'm so thankful that we served our people in the community this weekend. And I pray that it won't stop there. I pray that we'll be intentional. You know, all of that can't rest on one man's shoulders. We have to be the church. Grace Fellowship has to be the church. And we have to understand that connection between service in preaching the gospel. Randy Pope at Perimeter in Atlanta helps us to see that connection. He has a great quote where he says, Good deeds lead to goodwill, which leads to the good news. And I pray that we will understand that as Grace Fellowship and that we will continue serving. But as we continue serving, I pray that we will have a message with our service. I pray that we won't stop short Of preaching the gospel. What was the message that the king. That the disciples were preaching. Read verse 9 again. Look at it. They were told to announce. That God's kingdom was near them. Now this was both true. Spiritually and physically. In a spiritual sense. How was the kingdom inaugurated? The kingdom was inaugurated. At the incarnation of Christ. At Jesus' birth, as God in the flesh came to dwell with man, Jesus' kingdom was inaugurated spiritually, but it was also coming to them physically. How? Read verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place. What? Where he himself would go. Now isn't that comforting? Isn't it comforting to know that we're not going to preach the gospel anywhere where God isn't moving? 
anywhere we preach the gospel, you can be assured that God is moving there. He says it in his word. The gospel's going to go forward to the ends of the earth. You can be assured of it. The word says it. It's going to go to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It's going to happen. And we doubt it because the spirit is quenched in the Bible belt. It's hard to evangelize here. People don't understand that. But some, in some ways, it's harder to evangelize here than in any other part of the world. I saw that clearly in Russia because there's such a huge distinction when you're a disciple, people know it. And so it's hard to see the kingdom moving forward here, but don't doubt it because the kingdom is moving forward. And there's no place where the gospel of Jesus Christ won't be touched. And that's why you can be assured that when you preach the gospel, conversion will take place. Don't be afraid. Conversion will take place. And when it does, it's going to transform lives and it's going to transform society. Because if you're preaching, God's going to transform cities. That's how he chooses to do it. Read Romans 10. That's how he chooses to do it. So that's our first principle. Jesus commissioned disciples for ministry. He has commissioned you for ministry. Our second principle is this. In Verses 13 through 16, Jesus teaches the 72 disciples that God will judge those who reject him. Let's read that together. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So God will judge those who reject him. He even says in verse 16 that the men and women who reject you are really rejecting Christ. And he gives specific examples of cities who have done this. He calls out Bethsaida. He calls out Chorazin, which according to the Gospel of Matthew, were the cities where most of Jesus' miracles had been done. And yet they rejected him. He calls out Capernaum. And he says, Capernaum, will you be exalted? Now, why would they think that they would be exalted? Because they were depending on their lineage. They were children of the covenant. They had rights to the covenant. Regardless of relationship. What does he say in response? He said, you will be brought down to Hades. Everyone that we preach to must receive the gospel. They must. They cannot reject it. Anyone who hears it has a great responsibility. They must respond to it. And we need laborers to do that. We need laborers in Anniston, Oxford, Weaver, Jacksonville, Alexandria, Ohatchee, we need laborers 
in all the cities around the nation. We need laborers in Atlanta. We need laborers in New York City. We need laborers in Seattle. We need laborers across the ocean. We need laborers in Suravikana. We need laborers in Volgograd and in Honduras and in Moscow and in Uganda. We need laborers there. We need people serving in those places. And you know what? We really need to think about this. If Grace Fellowship retains the same membership year after year, and we never have any turnover due to the fact that we're sending out, don't you think that's kind of an an indictment? Because what were the churches of Acts doing? What was the early church doing but training up to send out? There was a very short turnaround time in creating disciples and then sending out. We should be doing that. We need laborers who will start Bible studies in their neighborhoods. We need laborers who will give away Bibles. We need laborers who will commit to short and long-term missions. We need laborers who will plant churches. We're seven, almost eight years into this church plant. Seven years into this church plant, it's time that we plant the church. But we need laborers to do that. We need people who will help other people walk with God. And when we do that, when we preach the gospel and when people hear it, they must receive it. They they must not reject it. This brings us. To our next point. Found in verses 17 through 20 and it's this. The believer's joy should be found in salvation. The believer's joy should be found in salvation. Let's read that. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When the disciples finished their mission endeavor, they were happy. But they were happy for the wrong reason. Their joy was just a little bit misplaced. And Jesus, in a gentle way, Just a gentle rebuke, he corrects this for them. They were finding joy in how they had authority over demons. But Jesus says that he gave them that authority. He already knew that. He's always had authority over Satan and his demons. He's God. He's eternal. What did he mean when he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? He was saying, look, guys, I was there when Satan was cast out of heaven. I'm God. So you don't have to be happy for that. I know that. And you can rest comfortably that I know that. He wants them to have joy. He's not squelching their joy, but he wants their joy to be based on something else. Do you see it there? He wants their joy to be based in the fact that their names are written in heaven. He wants them to be happy because they're saved from sin. 
Because Jesus knows something that we don't know. And we, we might think we know it. But no one knows it like God the Son. He knows that success in missions is going to come and go. That the success that we have in missions is only due to the fact that God is changing people. He is working. He is moving. He is changing lives. This work of changing lives is his work. And Jesus knows that. And you're going to see to the degree that he knows it in just a minute. Because he models, models it for us just perfectly. But he simply just calls us to labor for him and to find our happiness in him. And this is really what prevents many, if not most of you, from ever sharing your faith. Some of you never reach out because you're seized by fear. And I don't think that you're fearful of your image. I think most of you have died to that. You're not afraid of looking foolish. You understand that the gospel is foolishness to the perishing. I don't think that's your issue. The issue... Is this idea of success. You're fearful of being a failure. You never share your faith because you might fail. And that points to our misunderstanding of success. Success is not bound up in how many people you lead to Christ or the number of baptisms that any given body produces. Success is wrapped up in faithfulness. Do you want to know if you're successful? Did you do what God called you to do? Now, I will say this. The more people you reach out to, the more people that you share the gospel with, we will actually have to turn on the water. I believe that. But we're not going to divorce that from the fact that God is the one moving and God is the one changing lives. Some of you haven't shared your faith in years consistently. Sharing your faith is drudgery. And that's because your heart may not be right in ministry. Because if your ministry is not an outflow of your happiness in God and your thankfulness for his salvation, then you're going to be the most miserable of servants. It has to be that. Otherwise, your ministry is all about you. That was a hard lesson that God taught me about halfway through my Russian mission. He made it really clear that they didn't need me in the sense that I thought they needed me. And what what a great what a great lesson to learn that my ministry has to be an outflow of my worship. It has to be an outflow of my thankfulness for his saving me from sin and just being happy in God. That success has to be a service has to be a byproduct of joy. And that's our third principle. The believer's joy should be found in salvation. And our fourth principle flows from this. Notice that in verse 21. Jesus provides a great model for us. And our fourth principle is this, that servants should be utterly God-centered. Let's read that, 21 through 24. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, 
I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to the disciples, he said privately. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear. And did not hear it. Servants should be utterly God-centered. In his prayer there, he's showing us what this looks like to be utterly God-centered. Notice his focus on God. Notice his focus on the Trinity. In verse 21, Jesus the Son is praying to God the Father in the Spirit. Expressing his thanks for God revealing himself. In verses 22 through 24, he then tells us how he reveals himself. Did you see it? God spiritually opens the eyes and the ears to see and hear the truth of the gospel. We respond in faith because God redeems. God opens the eyes. In the years to hear the truth of the gospel. And this is why Jesus was rejoicing. He was rejoicing over God's great glory. He wasn't rejoicing over their gifts. He was rejoicing over God's glory. It's not as if they were going from town to town and Jesus was going, man, I hope they have some conversions there. I'm just not sure about it. He wasn't doing that. He's thanking God because he was revealing himself to Men and women and saving them. And you want proof of this? Look at verse 5 and 6 and see if this is not proof. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And this is the believer's joy. Our happiness comes from the fact that our names are written in heaven. Our happiness comes from the fact that He will save. He is mighty to save. And he calls us to be on mission for him. He calls us to set our gaze on his harvest field. That's the the call to the disciple. And I'm so proud of Grace Fellowship this weekend that we did that as a body. And we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in God doing a great work. In God doing his work through his people. We get the wrong idea. Um, it, it brings God joy to save people. It makes him happy. We serve a great and glorious God who is far above everything. And yet he's with us. And he receives joy in saving his people. And so in way of application, I just want to ask one question. Today, where are you finding your joy? Is it in God and God alone? Or do you find yourself discontented? Today, I pray that all of your joy will not be wrapped up in your stuff, 
in your relationships, in your giftings, and what you can do for God solely, apart from dependence, but that today you will rest, that you will rest in Him, that you will find all of your joy wrapped up in the Father who revealed Himself to you, who was happy to save you. Let's pray. Well, Father, we ask...